Yeah, it's in Fairy Point. Three, two, one. Poem party. Poem party. Hey. Hey. Party of not the poems. Much, uh, not much happening, but welcome to another episode of Poem Party. This time live from the rooftop. a undisclosed roof overseeing overseeing supervising <laughs> supervising hey, new york stop city down there <laughs> we can see the famous the famous place they call new york city the famous skyline the shiny apple the wide r- ragged rigid serrated apple the big blue baby i see the big blue baby <laughs> that's the the, sh- <laughs> that's the chevy that's building <laughs> the she- the chevy chase building and uh, yeah. uh this Trump Tower. That's the, a different Trump the, Tower. The Tower yeah. of Liberty. That's a the building Liberty that tower? you know. Yeah. I don't know. If I've ever seen it before, but it does kind of look like the Avengers Tower. <laughs> Which yeah. one? Between the Chevy Tower, Empire State Building, and those super. That is new. It, it, I actually don't think that building was there. It looks like the here. Avengers Building. You know, some Speaking, people say. What is that, the uh, Avengers Building? Manhattan's. The I, best it's like where Tony Stark lives. Okay. He lives in the Avengers Building. Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah. Like all of us, he works from home. Uh, okay, we're still testing the, the levels here, folks. Uh, let's get a... One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Okay, I'm going to bring one, myself two, down slightly. One, two, three, 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 one, two, three. Uh, quiet, 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 mm. quiet, 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 quiet. One, two, three, one, two, three. Um, uh, I don't even... No, we're just going to roll with it. We're just doing it. I thought I heard a couple loud points in it but maybe you heard a lot of points yeah, and you, i yelled yes well i won't Here. do that actually anymore. chris you keep going go give me some uh, give me some animation give me some animation eh? <laughs> <laughs> that's very good <laughs> i don't know why hey, that's, 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 really that's the only time you'll ever do that yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that was a really good character <laughs> i like that character we need to get that it character escaped. in here more <laughs> I don't know what I was <laughs> the, the thinking of Tom him. Hardy or whatever. Yeah, it's like Tom Hardy getting pulled up out of a well by his feet. <laughs> some animation, eh? <laughs> Just some villain saying, Tom Hardy, give us some more animation. Give us some more. Dunk him back in the tank. Animation. Give us some more animation, Tom Hardy. Uh, well. uh, yeah, so we are indeed on a roof for social distancing reasons. Uh, we recently received uh, news that uh, the President of the United States, Donald Trump, has... Passed away. God damn it. <laughs> has indeed been afflicted with that which we are all... So uh, it's sometimes diligently, sometimes sparsely trying to avoid. Uh, oh, I don't know. It's I didn't think it was real until... The president got it. Yeah. 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 It just seems so fake. Yeah. Until. Well, they say, you you know, hey, can you name one person that you know who's had it? And I can say, yes, I do. I, yeah. Donnie. My, f- my <laughs> friend on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it, uh, it does bring something home. Uh, but also, this is the first time in since, what, March that we've all been in the same place together? Yes, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, I've seen Mr. Alex Bernstein, Professor Alex Bernstein at work yeah. up until, well, currently. Yeah. Uh, up until this weekend. Up until currently, <laughs> up until right now. Uh, 
Mike, we've got some chow. Yeah, we ate. We ate some chow. We noshed. Chow yeah. down. Mm-hmm. I, I've been in my apartment for the entirety of, of this whole thing. And uh, I got to say, it's getting old. Yeah. <laughs> well, you look, well, you look bright-eyed and bushy-tailed today. Yeah, oh, good. Yeah. yeah. The, the Z-Quill <laughs> that I took to fall asleep last night isn't still in my system, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you're, you're perched in a way that makes you look all the, all the cooler. Yeah, well, I feel I feel could. cool, you know. Yeah, you're you're sitting on a corrugated steel spiral staircase that's painted lime green, uh, with the hills of of Queens behind you. I've had plenty of time to dwell on my style, and I think it's mm-hmm. showing. It's now. sort mm-hmm. of like Michael. It's like the rave version of those construction workers who sat on the pole to eat their lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In a way, yeah, is what you're, you've got going on right. Well, those now. those are some of my heroes. So <laughs> that's what you mm-hmm. did Tip back my then. Cap. You sit on a pole or you sit on a girder yeah. and uh, have your lunch. Yeah, your heroes are steel workers and <laughs> ravers from 1999 yeah. who just saw The Matrix. Yeah. Michael, what's the story behind your baseball hat? Um, it's a vintage hat that um, was used by the San Francisco Seals baseball team. Yeah. It was a minor league team in the early, mid-20th century that my grandpa used to be, be a, a fan, fan of. of. Yeah. Okay. It's a cool hat. The vintage, or uh, Ebbets Vintage is the company. Yeah. I recommend it. But did they win? They they won a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Joe DiMaggio played for them at one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say that's winning. Okay. Plus, you know, we love amphibious mammals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I was sea just dogs. I was just imagining you going down to the beach in the Bay Area and all of the seas kind of the seals congregating around you because you have that hat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've swam with seals before. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. And uh, it's not safe because they uh, both because of their uh, residue, their excrement is bad to right. ingest, but also the sharks like to eat those things. Mm. I feel like uh, they too would have the capacity to drown you. Yeah, yeah. If or, they wanted. or like you know, bite your neck or something. Yeah, bleed yeah. you out a little bit. Yeah. Like just give you a nip, and knowing what the sharks would do. Yeah, yeah. eat this guy. Leave us alone. Yeah. Yeah. Like this guy is soft and <laughs> supple. Yeah. I'm just gonna take a little nip of the toe, uh-huh. and and you boys do your work. This this kid he looks like, like he's a. Yeah. <laughs> this kid looks like he grew up on the east side. He's not a very strong swimmer. <laughs> uh, so wait, was this a, like a was it a seal encounter, like dolphin encounters, where you pay and the guy has the wetsuit and they're like the seal's now gonna kiss you with his mustache? No, it wasn't face. planned. It was a, a wild environment where uh, I was snorkeling and seals appeared. I've also been kayaking in very kelp heavy in water in Catalina and seals popped their heads up out of the ocean like periscopes mm-hmm. and and took took me in mm-hmm. uh, brush it <laughs> <brush you> down <laughs> locked eyes with you yeah what is it gave e- you the echo location yeah are they echolocating with you yeah, they were doing something i don't know luckily yeah. i made it out of that just fine i prefer the idea that you were into the northern california seal encounter mm-hmm. you put a, you put a fish in your mouth and it came up and plucked it out of your mouth yeah, they, they had you put on a musty like body odor smelling wetsuit that was hanging up in a dark shack yeah and they're like all right here we go there, there might be a business in this i don't know yeah we could get it started 
Um, no, but this hat. You I know, feel like it's just trauma. It's just a trauma vehicle. What is really. that, that? Whatever that is, whatever that business would be. Yeah. It just it just solidifies traumatic childhood moments for people. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the, what the service is that you provide. Anything with with you know water based businesses have that capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. we're not <laughs> human beings are not like the best species for the water. Yeah. <laughs> Although some would argue that we evolved from water mammals. Yeah, there are some. There are some. There's uh, like the platypus. Can you see the resemblance between me and a platypus? Yeah. Yeah, especially when you're wearing that hat. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. you're wearing that long. Bill. Is there a story with your hat? No. No. I bought it because I liked how it looked. Yeah, it looks good. Which is almost the polar opposite of why you bought your hat. <laughs> it well, it this, does yeah. make you pure look, vanity. It is, it is a very. You, you look very Northern California, right? I was going to say, yeah, yeah I, I bought it because, that, you know, I grew up close to San Onofre Beach in yeah, Southern yeah. California. Well, may, may, may actually, your your outfit's a little bit too eclectic to say that you look like you're from Northern California. From the neck up, you look like you're from Northern California. Yeah. Then you're wearing a pea coat. And well, no, it's really more of then, a chore coat. And then yeah. brown corduroy pants. So I like how I look today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank I'm you. not saying... I, I Don't d- read him. I'm just saying... It's an assemblage. Yeah, you've got some East Coast and yeah. some England, maybe if you wanted. Um, but I grew up. <laughs> you look Australian okay. right now. All right, <laughs> that's what you look. Cool. Yeah, yeah. This is an Australian hat. Okay. A pro California Australian. Hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people tend to conflate the two. So yeah. yeah, there's a lot of Aussies down in Southern California. Yeah, yeah. It's right at home. Yeah. Yeah, but I, know, I ain't nobody's mate. accent and yeah. <laughs> surfing. Yeah. Oh, I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just butchering the vowels and yeah. uh, <laughs> shredding th- some gnarly words. I've seen 13 waves today. <laughs> 13 of them. <laughs> that is my, f- I love the, the Dean and the, yeah. and the, te- the way they say teens. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever I listen to like a Nick Cave interview and he's saying like we we got thirteen songs on this album, <laughs> we we had fourteen. Got thirteen songs on every album. <laughs> yeah, because he's spooky, right? <laughs> Nick Cave. Yeah, he would never have. He would only have six hundred and sixty-six or You'd thirteen think it tracks. Bad luck. It's not bad luck. <laughs> I can't. Act- I've never actually met an Australian. So really, well, I mean, I've at a distance. I've never. I've never intimately known an Australian. I had a couple of Australian people in my life be really mean to me, and so okay. I have an aversion. What do they do? I don't know. They're just like, they're, I always say there's like a bro exchange program from the United States oh, and totally. Australia. Oh, yeah. We send yeah. our broiest <laughs> people to Australia <laughs> to learn, and they send their broiest Australians <laughs> right. to the United it's States it's to, just a feedback to work loop. in media. Right. It, it it establishes this feedback loop where, where it's like they survey those who are coming over, and they're like, well, they're bros. We'll send, you know, we'll send over our bros. That that way, we'll build this friendship. They know that we're similar, and then it just the more it gets more and more broy, they meet. What I guess, if, is it bros and gals? She, some Sheilas, Sheilas. <laughs> bros and what's the what's the is it, what's the female version of a bro? Oh boy! Is it a woo girl? I don't know if a valley girl. Did you say a rude girl? Woo! <laughs> I thought you said a rude girl, like <laughs> like ska <laughs> reggae. Like, no, I don't think that they're not. They're not a pair. Is it like a a basic bitch or a? Yeah. Well, yeah, but guys maybe. can be basic bitches also. Well, okay. this is all very essentialist, but 
Yeah. It's kind well, of well. No, you're saying can be. It's not essential. Sure. It's it's a it's the addition of an attribute. It's not. Nevertheless, yeah. my point is with the <laughs> my thing is like, you know how sometimes you're like, oh no, you have you have a very preconceived, strong pre- preconceived notion of something. Mine is shaped specifically by like two people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But then, of course, I'll meet a really lovely Australian person, and I'll say, okay, well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm open to having my mind changed. Right. We'll About Australians. Yeah. I, I have a good friend who's Australian. That's ben. right. I've met Ben. Yeah. He's yeah. a nice guy. Yeah. He, he is like... He, he is a bro. I would say, I mean, you know, I love him. He's a good guy, but he has some bro tendencies. I feel like he's Australia's answer to David Wallace. He reminds like he reminds me of David Wallace, and not David That's Foster Wallace. Not David, no Foster. I don't know David's middle name. Yeah, this is a shout out to the New Yorker. David Foster Wallace. <laughs> David Foster Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just put my hand on the blade of this chair. Oh. <laughs> yes, you. Yes, you did. <laughs> I'm sitting on a chair that. Basically, has a knife on the edge. See, of it, David Foster's Wallace, the Australian beer oh, no. writer. I, wait, did you say? Oh, I did Infinite miss that. Jest. <laughs> <laughs> Long joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well. Yeah. So Trump has Corona. Trump has Corona. Uh, I, you know, I, I can't, I can't say that I. Uh, I still don't believe it's true. You know what? You know what I was I was thinking this morning is what if, what if it's this this game, right? Let's imagine it's this game. Uh, it's they they want to get Amy Coney Barrett into the Supreme Court, but if they do it before the election, then that's too early. If you do it after the election, uh, after the election, then it gives conservatives more of an impetus to vote for Trump rather than switching to Biden for a morality vote. Damn. Right. And so if you delay it to after that's that's happened, then you the they can still do it even after the election. This sounds like it was Lindsey Graham's idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that makes Mr. sense, Lighted except the, for the fact that. Uh, I don't think they have any qualms with just doing it right now. Yeah. In fact, they're farther away now because they all got sick from kissing her feet or whatever they were doing at that <laughs> ceremony. They were all sharing. All the soldiers, they love, they love to, they love to see, they, they see her kicks and they come up and they say, take off your shoes. <laughs> and they hey. were all sharing a, a jewel. Sit, sit back, Hope. Take <laughs> off those shoes. <laughs> they all shared a jewel. You must and, be, uh, you, you, your feet must be so tired. <laughs> so now they all have to quarantine for two weeks. Well, they should quarantine for two weeks, but they're not going to. No. All the senators are getting sick. Yeah, all the senators are getting sick. All the people who told us that, well, you know, some death, some death is sick. acceptable for to keep the economy going. Yeah. I, I they just mean, didn't think it was going to be them. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little surprised it's taken this long for Trump to get it, yeah. given how he's behaved. Yeah. Um, well, there's some kind of reser- reverse psychology going on where I think that he got it and didn't like his press didn't want to inform the public, and now. He doesn't have it, and his press has informed the public that he has it. So, <laughs> I'm sure that this the moment he found out that he had it, he had a shit fit. 
Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah, a he, germaphobe. I bet no he was. Way. This I, is a bad germ. Casey. I told. I think he wanted to totally take advantage of it. I think he was stoked when he got it. That guy. I don't think so. <laughs> you can tell he's afraid when he talks. He's like, I think I feel okay. <laughs> Very apprehensive. Yeah, yeah. He's not. He, he's he's not his usual self. Yeah. Uh-huh. They, he's, he's thanking bipartisan part bipartisan efforts and <laughs> mentioning his wife. You know, it's things are not normal. He's, gonna, he's asking all those people from that photo op where they are all putting hands on him. He's going to ask them to come back. Yeah, and put their hands on him again. Yeah. He needs it this time. <laughs> We're going to bring back the glo- the 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 orb from Saudi Arabia. <laughs> We're all going to touch it again. <laughs> it kept it us helped. safe in the past. It f- it felt so good last time. <laughs> what I felt go through my body on that day. <laughs> it was one of those things that. Maybe I make this joke every time, but I was thinking it was one of those things that like a museum and your hair. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. Look at your hair, MBS. (laughs) Mohammed bin Salman, his hair stood right up on end. It was crazy. His thick forearm hair stood right up on end. It was so cool. (laughs) And then afterwards, they smashed a rose into a million pieces, a (laughs) freeze-dried rose. (laughs) That was the second thing in the Bill Nye, Saudi Arabia, yeah. United States <laughs> demonstration. <laughs> and a little oh. thing with density with different colored things layered <laughs> differently. Like, yeah, the blue liquid and the red liquid. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, people. Oh. Well, does anybody at this present moment feel at all connected to the poetry community, whatever that means to you? Jesus, no. I don't. The poetry community feels even less connected to itself than I have found recently. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of hard to to feel uh, like anybody is on top of things right now. You know, yeah. I lost all my momentum. Certainly. Yeah. 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 I Me mean, too. in the six months, I mean, I'm doing more. I'm submitting more and getting some acceptances and stuff like that. And, and I'm reading more journals, but like that all feels like trees. I don't see forest in this whole thing. Right. You know, yeah. Eduardo Corral's got a new book out. Mm-hmm. Henri Cole's got a new book out long awaited for Eduardo and, and you know, l- less of a time since Henri's last one, but they're both supposed to be quite good. And I just haven't done it. I've been reading fiction, mm-hmm. the dark mistress fiction. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Again, I guess I have the attention span for it. Yeah, I've been reading poems and stuff, but yeah. I've read I've read a lot of the poems in Henri Cole's new book, and I really love them. Blizzard. Yeah, I think they're really a blizzard of book. Yeah, it's sort of like how there was the Fast and the Furious, and then they made another sequel called Fast and Furious. This is Blizzard of One, and <laughs> yeah, then just Blizzard. blizzard Two. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean bl- yeah, Blizzard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> two Blizzard, two poems. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no, I I definitely feel disconnected from it, especially in the sense that we we're it, we, I don't know, we're not going anywhere and doing anything poetry related. I mean, no, I'm not, you know, like if if there is stuff happening, you know, I'm not seeing it happen. This, I, yeah. you know, some Zoom stuff, I have, you know, the Tupelo, um, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that's really, I mean, Henri and, and Eduardo are going to be fine in terms of, like, stuff, book right. sales and stuff like that. But if right. you're a first-time author now, 
in the pandemic, your book has a very good chance of being even more than usual, just being thrown into the, you know, the right. Well, yeah, unless it just being forgotten. Yeah, it would have to appear algorithmically because I I imagine that people are going to bookstores far less than they previously would. Based on the press, like I know, yeah, uh, Layla Chatty. Her book mm-hmm. came out right at the start of the pandemic, and I, that's done great. And okay. she's been invited to do a lot of virtual events and has gotten a lot of recognition. But, you know, I think it's partly because of Copper Canyon, and they do a lot of publicity, <coughs> and they have a lot of resources devoted to outreach and sure. you know, publicity and stuff. But, but I also know, I mean, like, the thing is, like, publishing, even indie publishing, is a business. And so, you know, I think uh, y- y- the few dollars that they do have for promotion are not going to go to the like to break the new authors. They're going to go to the tried and true authors who they think they they can sell for. So it's a really, I mean, you really are on your own if you're a you know first book poet right now. You gotta, yeah, you got you got to make it happen. Yeah, for you. But on the other hand, it is like your book tour can be done. You can say yes to everything. That's true. Yeah. And and also no overhead yeah. for like, you know, you're not booking hotels or rental car or whatever to, yeah. you know, you're not eating that cost as well. Um, but, but you're paying for shipping. Mm-hmm. For me, that would be the fun part would be like, I have a book out. I get to travel yeah. a little bit. Yeah. You get to be a poetry road dog. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Adam Clay told me he and Ada Limone and Alex Lemon, the three of them had books out at the same time. And they did a tour of the South together. That just sounded like, you know, three close friends yeah. just like that sounds great you know town yeah. to town this sounds yeah it's like you know I, I and here's the other thing i don't i wouldn't you know tyler and i have played music before and mm-hmm. stuff like that i would not want to do that in a band i would want to do that right. with my writing friends right <laughs> <laughs> yeah well if anybody here in the in the ether is listening you should publish all four of us Please, God. Simultaneously, not as a joint, not as like a joint venture. No. Truly as separate books, uh, each of which have their own dedicated uh, advertising stream, which is significant. Well, it's like Wu-Tang Clan. We have have our thing together, but then we also have the freedom to independently all do whatever we want to do. Absolutely. That's how I think of myself. Uh, (laughs) In my my heart, I have this fire. You know, I'm submitting my manuscript and it's getting not even semi-finalists and whatever and you know which is not i'm not feeling sorry for myself except that normally that didn't bother me but now <laughs> well now that i think about death every day and we're dealing with the possibility of death in an idea of like every day there's a numerical value that's like yeah this many people died today and 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 when you hear that sometimes you say oh good yeah that's less than <laughs> so like in this like black plague like thing i'm like oh shit my fragile human body is very vulnerable right now yeah and uh and my chance of dying and being forgotten is even greater than Mm -hmm. you know so i have this like other urge to put down roots in the form of the written word Mm -hmm. um yeah but people aren't that interested (laughs) right now well there'll be like 13 hours of your voice recorded yeah 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 (laughs) well it also makes you question the jerky boys yeah (laughs) It also makes you question why you're doing this in the first place. You know, like yeah. like if 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 publishing is going through a kind of sinkhole right now, you know, and and you really in but it's not though cuz I mean a lot of these books aren't even being printed on time because the demand at the places that are doing the printing is so great. Okay. That 
the orders are delayed. The releases are delayed because the the printing companies can't even keep up with the demand. Okay, well maybe not a sinkhole in publishing, a sinkhole in connection, in intimacy, in physical relationships, which I think is a big part of being in a poetry community. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you're really faced with yourself as a poet and an artist. Sure. And, you know, what I keep coming back to is, you know, I want to keep doing this. It's not even a question. Right. I think for me, wh- more of the question is, is, um, you know, how do I form some kind of daily practice or commitment in a space where it's only me? Yeah. Where commitment is so much based off of, for me, commitment was so much based off of community, being with other people, you know, the kind of energy that arises when you're talking about poetry, whether it's contemporary or not. Um, yeah. Yeah, know. I mean, I've, I've gotten a lot of poems out of, and poems that have been, you know, good in my mind, out of, uh, you know, like, oh, I have a social commitment in which I need a poem. I'm going to do that. Oh, shit. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I've procrastinated. That is, that like is making a dessert for uh, yeah. hot luck. <laughs> that, yeah. that has worked for you quite a few times. Yeah. 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 I don't, yeah, it, it like the, something about the pressure involved helps. Yeah. Like it sure. in, engages That's why the having a grad school deadline, right. you know, every week is productive for some people. For some people it's right. not. Right. And Which they don't honor them when they're even in grad school. Yeah. But and that, that's why I, I need a, to be hired as a, like a, a poetry columnist <laughs> by yeah. a small newspaper that has been funded by a billionaire. Yeah. Or something like that. A small... What what small paper has been funded by a billionaire, actually, now that I think about it? Uh, mm. Washington Post. The Federalist, <laughs> The Daily Wire. You could be mm. the poetry editor for The Daily Wire. Yeah. But I don't want to... No, I don't want to... I, I, Not an I editor. Want to, I want a columnist position. That is where, generative. So that I have to be publishing a poem every week as part of that. That'd be great. Oh, you yeah. know what? When I, I did something with the online publication... And they had no idea what they were doing. They oh, were yeah. like, do you want to do That's this? Right. And I said, they, yeah. They and they're like, so you're going to publish a poem of yours every week. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how it works. But they uh-huh. thought, you know, they were. Oh, you should have said yes to that. <laughs> <laughs> like a writer in residence or something there. Yeah. You know, and then uh, I liked it at first because they left me alone. But then they got a little handsy with the SEO scores and, uh-huh. and images and stuff. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. But yeah. at yeah. first they, they, it was great because they had, they didn't care about anything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm just going to publish the poems that I want, whatever. But they were, they would have let me do every like two times a month, just publish one of my poems. Yeah. You know, Chris, if you title more of your poems using words like MILF and uh, <laughs> anal, then we'd get more hits. There's no stepmother in this poem. Yeah. <laughs> the stepmother stepson dynamic. I was thinking more about falter. removing the vowels and just having the like the bands do now, where they remove all the vowels and they're just consonants in the band names. Oh yeah. MGM. Like Starfucker or something. Mm-hmm. It's is an older band at this point. Yeah. Or star know. fucking hipsters. I just listen to country music. I don't know any anything about. But here, here's the here's my <laughs> my thing about the whole thing because I feel I feel grimy when I think about like wanting to do it. But you have to have some sort of there has to be a little part of that to even submit a poem, right? Or to even show a poem to somebody. What you mean? To like re- you like write it and then not like burn it or keep it in a diary that your family's confused by after you die. Right. <laughs> right. That, that, yeah. If if my 
parents found the collected works <laughs> <laughs> of Tyler Green, yeah. they'd be they'd be like, "Oh no, <laughs> yeah. oh we should have we should have. I wish we had known this yeah, earlier. Yeah. We could we have gotten help. Invested <laughs> in some uh, some therapy and uh, maybe some exercise trainers and yeah. <laughs> well, I <laughs> think you know. I think like Chris, like you're saying, the the act of showing someone a poem. There's you know you believe in the poem. You believe in yourself. You know there's a certain element of conviction, and for me that's kind of gone out the window in the last six months. Like I know before the pandemic, I, every time I sat down to work on poems, I felt accompanied by actual people who I hold dear. And now I feel like because I don't have that feeling, you know, I, I it's like I don't I don't not only do I not want to show people, not only do I want to show you for the poems I'm working on, I don't even sometimes believe in the poems that I'm working on. You yeah. Know? Which is, I don't mean to be a downer. Like, obviously, I love, there are elements in that process that I really love and delight in. But, you know, there's a certain kind of just, like, why do it right now? Like, why do it today? When I think of a poem, though, I think of them like those little rovers that they send out to the the farther planets. Like, oh, maybe you'll meet somebody someday. (laughs) Maybe you'll... you know, maybe you'll yeah. pass this. You know, it's like a, it's like sending a like the Mars rover out and like looking for life. You know, you want to mm-hmm. make a connection. Ma- Matthew Rohr has a poem about the Mars rover and that idea oh, yeah. of sending the poem, well, sending, sending the poem. It's not about poetry, but the metaphor of the Mars rover and searching for the unknown, and and also the idea of escaping someplace necessary is mm-hmm. in, involved in the poem. I th- one of the Mars rovers, I think it was launched in the 90s, and then finally its battery went out, the solar thing went out, and it's like, it has those final words. I think Eduardo Corral actually wrote about it, or maybe it was one of Eduardo's like cut lines that he mm-hmm. self-flagellates with in public. <laughs> he, <laughs> he does that thing where he posts all of the lines that he cut yeah, that yeah. N- <laughs> none of us would have the gumption to do, but uh-huh. Eduardo does. But, you know, the the last words were devastating. They're like, I'm tired now. I'm going to sleep. Because <laughs> 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 it's communication back to NASA. I'm scared. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like I'm that. Scared. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> which which means that somebody coded it in for it to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Which means that there was a planned communication. Fucking nerds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like they were like they were like oh this is gonna like. Like that's a, such a theatrical move. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it was like that's true. <laughs> a theater kid that was like good poetry. at science. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's yeah. more like you, know, you watch Space Odyssey so many times, and you're like, "You like Space Odyssey, dude?" Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Well, for me lately, I I had a lot of uh, a lot of juice like the first three or four months mm-hmm. of the pandemic because no one had left me alone for that amount of time, yeah. and it turned <laughs> out that I could. Y- have used it at that moment yeah but um presently over the last month or so i've had to wrestle with uh despite how casual and composed i seem i've been Mm -hmm. uh rattled by existence Mm -hmm. (laughs) shook to my core boy you could have fooled me you look great yeah 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 i've been uh struggling with the the big d depression Uh and the big a Uh anxiety And, uh, you know, just not really able to to get through the day sometimes without yeah. uh, without feeling bad. Yeah. But no, I mean, I, I feel that, too. It's it's been 
a very strange and bad six months. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah. And when when we were like, well, we should get together, which we talk about. You know, we talk. I said I wanted to do nostalgia with a capital C. Yeah. something got lost in translation (laughs) i like that better (laughs) but (laughs) i said nostalgia as a concept with a capital c alex said nostalgia with a capital c (laughs) um you know it's a complicated thing there's a lot of like a lot of people will tell you that it's dangerous and that it's bad and even fascist and it is you know it can be used for all those things, but I don't think that there's anything in particular uh, wrong with looking back on a time and being like, wow, things are much worse now. I'm, I'm going to, yeah. The, the idea that, that nostalgia and fascism are equaled in any way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I understand how fascists. I'm going to shake my head at that one. That's <laughs> a, I don't get it. I understand how fascists use nostalgia. Sure. Of course. Uh, yeah. Sure. But you, but it's a but it's but, manipulative, but, right? Because yeah. it's a false nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. When when it's used by fascism, it's creating a nostalgia for something that never existed. Yeah, that mm-hmm. that will be carried into the future, but or even the bright, beautiful future that you've never thought possible until Stalin could provide it for you. Right. Think about okay. Have you ever watched a video on a song on YouTube from like? more than 18 released more than 18 months ago yes so <laughs> you go down to the comments and there are like 14 year old kids that are like ah i remember this when i was just 12 years old like they're legit yeah. like nostalgic for a time 18 yeah. months ago so that is partially a uh you know there's a there's a mechanism but i mean people's lives are getting worse and they're they are longing yeah. for a time when their lives weren't getting worse on a regular basis and I think that's part of it too. No, so I mean, I read there's, like there's a lot that's catching up to us that that wasn't didn't seem like it, you know, it it was catching up to us at the time, of course, but boy, did it catch up quicker as yeah. a result of this. Well, I mean, like you, somebody tweeted this, and I can't remember who. So sorry for the <laughs> lack of attribution, but um, somebody's talking about like the way that recycling, like messaging, has evolved over the last 25 <laughs> years, like. <laughs> Used to be like, pick up your bottle, don't throw trash out the window. And now yeah. it's like, if we start now, then we can possibly keep the temperature from going above two degrees Celsius right. higher, which would be catastrophic. Yeah. Like in in twenty five years, thirty years, the message has gone from like you used to laugh about recycle. I mean, some people still do, obviously laugh yeah. about like the, even the idea of recycling or a hybrid car. But like, you know, it used to be like like a suggestion, and now it's like. An imperative. It's like right. if we if we do this now, then maybe we have a chance. Right. It's like this is tantamount to uh, not killing billions of people. <laughs> yeah. And but which, you know, I think it, isn't recycling kind of still a dubious thing. Sure. In the sense, sure, sure. Sure. Don't we just like sell it off to be burned? I'm pretty yeah. sure we literally sell our recycling to be burned elsewhere. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I mean, but the follow through on it is questionable whatever but i mean yeah I, you know, I w- when i was in college i would watch the people that worked in the dining hall take the recycling and throw it into the same <laughs> bag as the trash <laughs> and i was like you know i think that i i always suspected this is happening i'm gonna keep separating them just in case something happens along the line yeah but i didn't ever really think that it was you know that likely that whatever mm-hmm. anyways it's like it's like the coronavirus thing it's like 
even if there's a chance that you'll make it better, why not do it? <laughs> the coronavirus thing. Yeah, yeah. you know that thing. That <laughs> you know thing that, that thing. Well, I mean, I'm saying I'm talking about like wearing masks. I'm talking yeah. about public health no, or I whatever. I know, I know, yeah. I know. Sure. Yeah. I'm like you. You 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 said coronavirus thing as a transition to get to the substance of what you were saying. Yeah, sure. it's but the so thing I, but of I, the coronavirus yeah. that you're talking about, but it sounded yes, like yeah. it's it not, sounded yeah. like you're like, oh, what, the, what are they talking about with this thing? Yeah, Jay Leno. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, but you, see, you know, it's like that was more Robert Kelly than I don't know. And also, <laughs> and also, that's a, to see us in the United States, and I mean, we'll just say globally fail to rise to the occasion means that I am really not uh, that optimistic about 20 years from now when the climate thing happens, which will be worse and will cause more pandemics too. Mm-hmm. But well, yeah, I mean, when I go to the science fiction neighborhood of my mind mm-hmm. uh, or the doom neighborhood, sometimes the same dressed in a white shirt and black pants knocking, yeah. knocking on doors. Yeah. When I do that, I think like, man, I was part of the last generation that, thought that american life was a like safe comfortable existence yeah. and we're now entering the like the shame of yeah that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, that, the sh- the that shame might be the, of the puritan life. nature at the root of, yeah. of our lives but um or my own tendency to to expect the worst yeah i mean i don't but i don't feel the shame part of it yet so much as just the you like don't no, like like more of the like unsettledness, like like yeah. the, like that before there was a much more comfortable sense and sense of you know in perpetuity, in perpetuity, in perpetuity is not an, a thing, so <laughs> it's in perpetuity. So uh. the sense of of perpe- a perpetual thing about it, right? Yeah. You know that that there's a way that you know almost in like a Fukuyama kind of like you know end of history sort of thing like it feels like it's going on forever yeah um but obviously that was an illusion you know yeah, like yeah. my grandfather had a very different experience than that probably yeah of, of you know like having to make that the case and you know partially and yeah. and you know my well, parents were certainly in a changing world but. i i think a lot about the whole like essential worker thing and realizing just just how much in history in american history most citizens have had to put themselves in positions where there's no choice like you are in danger mm-hmm. and your sacrifice might be total right but and there will be great sacrifice yeah in any case it may be total but in yeah. any case you don't just get to have what you wanted and for us it's like you know but i had a vacation plan yeah I, but I want to go sit inside and eat a medium rare burger. I don't yeah. want to bring it home with me. Yeah. I, I wanted, I was, I thought that by this time I would have flown to the other side of the world and gone to Japan this year. Yeah. That was part of my plan was to fly like uh, for a day in the air yeah. to get to Japan. I'm supposed to have a wedding in six months. You are. And that is not happening. I'm almost I think, certain. I think, yeah, you know, we'll I, see. I don't know. We'll see. April? Well, yeah. you know what? Here's the thing. The venue is now f- almost trying to force us to, to do it, if mm-hmm. it is possible to do it. Even in a Frankenstein shitty version where right. we can have like 10 people, they would be like, well, we upheld our part of the bargain. Right, of course. Of course. And you know, I, will t- I will use every tool in my belt to avoid that. Right scenario right. because 
that's not fucking fair. <laughs> you know, I think if the if the Browns break 500 this year, you should have your wedding. Yeah. <laughs> that's like the Angels in the outfield kind of thing. It's like, hey, kid, I'll see you if, uh, if the Angels win the pennant this year. <laughs> yeah. Like, using yeah. far-off sports... Yeah, uh, accomplishments to make major life decisions. Wasn't that that the kid's father, parent told him he would come back yeah. if the Angels win the pennant? Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to stay in the orphanage. Yes. <laughs> Disney made that movie. <laughs> but uh, so uh, not to you know whatever go back or whatever, but the nostalgia makes sense to me. You know, my our friend, mm-hmm. our mutual friend Jordan. Uh, the filmmaker um, Jordan mm-hmm. and I talk about sometimes the summer lad, the su- the, the lad of summer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about um, uh, one thing that we love in movies is when you f- is when the end of the movie, when the events of the movie make you nostalgic for the kind of placidity of the beginning yeah. of the film. I think uh, the Lord of the Rings, the th- the three movies, yeah, um, encapsulates that. I think better than I mean I'm, I'm not crazy about those movies except for that thing where you know when they're in like the depths of hell basically you know they're thinking about like mm-hmm. how like calm and peaceful the life that they left behind is and a lot of that comes from Tolkien himself coming from you know yeah uh, World War One World experience. War One experience like mm-hmm. you know I can't imagine like experiencing that but like that after you know like yeah considering what was the life before it you know and then like the the sudden shock every day i'm gonna blow a whistle and you're gonna run towards the other guys yeah Yeah. and they're gonna spray gas on you oh (laughs) now i sleep underground in the water with rats (laughs) my feet are rotting off so i don't think it's wrong for us to say yeah he deserves to be nostalgic for not being Bayoneted, yeah. Every every day, I know I would be. Yeah, <laughs> I, if I got bayoneted, I would yearn for the time before that. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a couple things I'm thinking of. One is there's a Soviet, uh, late Soviet film about uh, World War Two, or part of it, in, in set in Belarus. Ah, oh, yeah. Come and see. Come and see. Yeah. Yeah. I just I that's. I mean, that's one that I'm thinking of. That's, that's like a terrible <laughs> reality that they show. That there. is a brutal movie. Yeah. And yeah, that's it starts out with the most idyllic, you know, like naive. Yeah. You know, wh- wh- like it. it's not you, you don't look derisively at the people being naive in the beginning where the kids are looking for buried guns. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. if you have a gun, you can go fight. Yeah, and it would be kind of fun to do that. Right, the yeah. like the like eleven year old, twelve year old kid is digging in the sand for, you know, for a rifle and finds one, and is so is so excited to go. Yeah, and by the end, looks like David Lynch. <laughs> like, like the kid, like the kid transforms from looking like young David Lynch just into David Lynch. Yeah, yeah. By the end. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm also thinking of Chernobyl. Oh, yeah. the, and well, Chernobyl. Yeah, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. The, the, sh- the show or the thing the that show. actually happened. The show. Yeah. Uh, the Deer Hunter is Ooh. pretty obviously on a hinge. It's like yeah. first half is like yeah. <laughs> what yeah. you're leaving behind. 
<laughs> yeah, we get to work in the factory. We go have beers. There's a woman that you know a couple of us have a chance with. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> so There's the the shot that that shot in that of the Russian Orthodox Church. Yeah, where it go, it cuts from like the Pennsylvania steel town exterior to like the interior of the Orthodox Church. That's so you know the, yeah. the, like it goes from like the gray and polluted to like this incredibly opulent interior. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. I love Robert De Niro playing Russian Orthodox. Yeah. Like that, that for some reason, like that works really well for me. Uh, but there's that guy at the wedding who's getting yeah. drunk at the bar. And that's right. the, he's the one that kind of rocks them out of their, right. you know, idyllic uh, sort of space. Yeah. Um, I think that's done to, to great effect, but yeah, you know, it makes, when your life is getting worse, it's, easy and and makes perfect sense for me to say wow i wish it was six months ago yeah i'm looking at a couple of like cattle dogs maybe that we got on the roof here some russian orthodox cattle dogs and it's not just me too i mean like i said go watch an avici video and and there are 14 year olds who say i used to listen to this song when i was eight my life was so simple they everybody's life is getting more complicated and worse and i understand maybe part of that's illusion because it is well, also, uh, your life is simpler for most people when you're 12 sure. as compared to 14. Generally, yes. Generally, I think. that yeah. It's privilege for me to say that. But I always understood and uh, the guy in the Matrix that just wants to get plugged back in. Yeah. I was like, I could see that yeah. being desirable. Anytime I take a bite of a steak, I think of him. You think of him when I you make steak? I think of that scene. Anytime I take a, like the first bite of a steak, I think of that scene <laughs> yeah. in the Matrix. Mm-hmm. Just um, I, I was thinking, have been thinking how. Right, uh, right before the pandemic, I feel like six months before the pandemic happened, um, the, like there was a certain feeling of having gotten used to the fact that Trump was president, mm-hmm. and then after that, you have the pandemic hits. Right, like I felt myself. And I feel like a lot of people were like this, like it's not like they weren't um, okay with the political climate, um, but they were able to go about their daily lives in some sort of happiness or delight. Right. And then this pandemic hit and it was another kind of historical moment. And I feel like the historical moments have been stacked on top of each other to the point where nostalgia is like a it's almost like a rupture like mm-hmm. nostal- there are these windows where you have the the opportunity for nostalgia and then that disappears because of you know the social political cultural climate that we're living in yeah. um right. so when you're 12 years old you don't have as much access to the the world in the way that you know working american everyday adults do i guess you know right. so mm-hmm. and it's i understand also and recognize the fact that you know this is obviously coming from a place of privilege if you are a 12 year old like black or brown person you're going to have a different experience where you're like i've never actually felt like safe i've never thought that i was you know i imagine that's a very different experience so i can't say that but at the same time there is something to be said about the fact that something you always suspected versus something that's proven true like if you suspect the world is you know, you're that you're vulnerable in the world. That's different than finding out 
100% for certain that you are absolutely vulnerable in the world and that, you know, your parents are vulnerable too and that nobody is going to come for you and, you know, that's it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, and your brain chemistry is raging when you're 13, 14. Sure. And Avicii was still alive. Before <laughs> well, I was just I, sa- I saved it in a Word document. I copied it and saved it. There was a comment on Rocky Mountain Way by Joe Walsh that was like, "Ah man, I miss being 16, driving a hot rod on dirt roads, high as a kite." <laughs> oh man, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> this might be a good time to transition to. George Oppen, who I don't think we have to go that in depth into, but I've been thinking about Oppen a lot, and I think he's very, his work is very concerned with the idea of, you know, how does a how does poetry respond to historical and political crises? Yeah, you know, in a way that does, in a way that can clearly and transparently process all the shitty things that are happening, you know. Um, like sit like you mean like sort of situating yeah the self in there yeah like how can a how can a poet specifically situate themselves historically in the in the practice of poetry right so like how can poetry respond to simply put how can poetry respond to historical crisis yeah it's like a real his work has a real um it feels like he's pushing to make th- make himself present or yeah. make, make the language of it present within a current uh you know state of unknowing or instability yeah and the the words really have like a, a concreteness that even though he's dealing with a lot of ideas and thoughts it, it they really are like objects in a way yeah um yeah and and personally he was very you know invested in in politics and yeah and culture and all that well i know he, in the 20 in the late 20s he was involved in the labor movement in brooklyn and went door to door trying to um kind of advocate for tenant rights um and um u- union rights as well yeah uh, like he was both involved in the housing move in, in some kind of housing movement in brooklyn i'm not really sure the total context and the um and there was a labor movement going on in brooklyn i think it was like 1927 or 1928 where um he was going door to door trying to persuade people to um i don't know advocate on behalf of certain workers trying to unionize Mm -hmm. so he was very involved in that political climate and then you know for 25 30 years he was audited by I think it was the cia or the fbi and he moved to mexico with his wife and like didn't write poetry for like 25 30 years and de- yeah he was a dedicated marxist or yeah socialist communist or, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and uh yeah his work has meant a lot to me for a while now um i i sort of kind of i can't immerse myself in it for too long yeah in any given period but He's been sort of a steady, uh, you know. Is it that something pushes you back from it or is it that it? 
No, it's that it, when you read his work, it takes a lot. You have to put a lot of yeah. uh, your own. You have to really immerse yourself in it. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so I found that. I I found that for sure is that it it kind of it it requires such you know it it really plays all of the or it uses all of the different tools available in in a way to like make the language very very tight yeah. and and specific and if you're not completely on yeah while you're doing it it kind of rebuffs you well bit. yeah the the reading of his work is a practice much like his writing practice was yeah. a way of you know rooting himself uh you have to kind of submit yourself to the incremental participation yeah you know? right well i mean there's yeah. a feeling of resistance built into the process of reading and the process of writing the work yeah yeah you know like not only physical resistance in the language but that is matched with you know the larger maybe social or political resistance that he was trying to involve himself in yeah mm-hmm. um yeah but the idea of how do you respond to a historical moment in the present like wh how do you respond to a time that you know is historically meaningful in some way how do you do that when that history is happening as you're doing it yeah if that makes sense you know so it's like it's like for him he was my impression was that he was really trying to carve out a daily practice where he could go to this emotional mental space where he could process through clearly the things that were happening yeah. you know there's a lot of yeah i feel kind of I, I feel um a little bit of you know regret already that i didn't start doing a daily like like i couldn't get a daily thing going at the beginning of the pandemic like i wanted to but i was very emotionally charged at that point like i like i i you know i was both sort of you know excited in a strange way and also you know anxious and depressed and all all sorts of stuff and i found myself trying to hide from things much more than engage even though i want like like consciously i was like i should be writing something like i should i'm i need to use this time you know i need to engage in this way but i also found the need to protect myself from that sure and now I feel like I, I really wish I had had that because it would be, you know, I guess what I'm thinking about is, as you were, Alex, as you were describing, you know, that that inevitably what you'll produce is going to uh, show some markings of that time of yeah. what the effect of that historic moment is. So, like, you know, what I, there's going to be some symptomatic, you know, to use the language of, of the moment, you know. It, like some symptoms of the time yeah. in it, recorded in, in what you're producing that then you could, you know, edit. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, like po poetry feels like a lot, like some kind of privilege in a moment where you're trying to figure out like basic necessities, you know, like yeah. when that, when the pandemic started, I know I was like, I don't want to be in the city. How can I uproot my life to, you know, I went to New Hampshire to stay with my mom um, and also trying to keep my job, you know, so I can mm -hmm. pay rent and all of that. Um, so all of these things that, you know, when you have a daily routine, you know, like I've been working at this job for 
two and a half years you know it took me a few months once being hired to get my daily routine in order but once i had that then writing i had a place for writing in my life you he, know? Mean, he by the way he maintains the armory for a militia that's based in new hampshire <laughs> and so that's why he had to part of why he had to go up there yeah, for yeah. That. they needed help on site yeah you know, with the yeah. pandemic yeah they're like with every well what do they say with well, everything uh, that's going on <laughs> with all that's going on with the pandemic well, also, uh, New Hampshire's <laughs> New Hampshire's motto is "Live free or die." Yeah. yeah, yeah, which sounds like an Aerosmith song or something. Yeah, it has that. <laughs> it definitely has that sonic quality to it. Like it doesn't it translate like a, yeah! to mass squareership, though. I imagine mm-hmm. to mass what? Mass squareership. Mass squareership. Absolutely not. Well, when you're in the can I say that your your writing was beautiful? By the way, that you the stuff that I've seen of yours from the pandemic. Oh, thanks. Yeah, but yeah, thanks, I would second thanks, that. Thanks, buddy. It's <laughs> funny. It's <laughs> yeah, you know, it's pretty good. But then, you know, it's obviously we're all being affected beautiful. by the pandemic. So when you're writing, it's like, yeah. is this coming out in ways I don't know? Am right. I consciously avoiding writing about it? Well, I yeah. felt my right. practice change so much in the last six yep. months. You know, what my definition of how to practice poetry has changed. You know, I'm writing a lot less, but what I'm writing, I'm spending a lot more time on. So there's a there's a way of there's there's a kind of relationship that I'm building with the work I'm writing um, that I'm happy with, but I'm not happy with the lack of production or the lack of being able to do it on a daily basis. Because for me, as much as I believe in poetry as a community and a social practice, I do also believe as a personal level that I want to be doing it a lot because it brings me a lot of joy. Um, But I haven't been able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to get back on the horse because I I think that the the bad emotional state that I've been in has in part been due to the fact that I've felt more distant from my writing, which for the majority of my adult life has been probably the main outlet that I have Mm-hmm. To, it is the main outlet I have to express myself, but it's probably also a major crutch for my uh, emotional well-being. Yeah, like even just the practice, you know. Um, and re- reading is also a very emotional, you know, uh, system for me. Like I have very like personal relationships to the books that I read. Um, I get very close to the experience, you know, uh, and when that's not as constant uh then there's a lot of chaotic emotion yeah there's Uh, a there's an essay by robert haas on reading and speaking at uh, a celebration of george oppen's work in berkeley and one of the other reasons why i really love oppen is because well i don't know if it's i shouldn't say this is why i love him but um he had alzheimer's he had alzheimer's disease and passed away from alzheimer's disease Mm -hmm. um but in the essay robert haas describes seeing oppen at the very back of his own celebration in this like stoic way Mm -hmm. and he described what oppen was wearing which was like it was like all it was like like dicky like dicky pants like there's a very um like like uh, workers work yeah clothing, like yeah. like yeah like mm-hmm. blue collar like workers clothing or like um like uh the kim family 
There's that picture of of Oppen reading a book at like a kitchen table shirtless. Yeah. That I that he looks a lot like my grandfather there. <laughs> uh, like like a mix of it's 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 my grandfather but more German. Well, he was a uh, World War II veteran also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think like like your grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. Um Maybe they all came back looking like that. Hey, maybe <laughs> like wiry and yeah. and just a little, 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 uh, a little like angular. It, oh yeah, I was. Tra- that's that's what it is. He lo- it looks like my he looks like my grandfather plus uh, Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another veteran. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But were you gonna say something? No, I was just gonna say that you know uh, Robert Haas describes Oppen showing up to poetry every day dressed like a lab- like a labor worker mm. you know like for him there was a a commitment to the labor involved in poetry that you know he was committed to from 19 19 years old even though he went a lot a gap in his life was not writing he was very much committed to the idea and the practice of poetry even if it meant not writing it um and you know, like a lot of his, he, I don't know. Do you guys know the poet Rachel Duplicis? Duplicis? Duplessis? Du, yeah, Duplessis? Du, is it Duplessis? I think that usually that name's pronounced that way. No, but I'm horrible with pronunciations. It's okay. I, um, I'm not familiar now. No, I mean, I don't know about her that much, but she's she was a friend and student of Oppen's, and I've read some of her work on Oppen. Um, and it's a quality that she points out in knowing him as well is the idea of being like morally committed to poetry as a daily practice for an entire lifetime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I actually don't agree with that. And I don't like that in my own life. I have always appreciated it as the escape. Uh, I have always been, <laughs> I, I have always appreciated it as the, th- the thing that, as soon as it becomes a practice, I'm not happy with what I'm doing. Yeah. I do frequently get inspiration and I, you know, will be seized by it and then I'll write then. But if I try and sit down every day, it won't happen. Well, yeah. That was hard in grad school too. What was, yeah. what was the distinction Lucy said, Lucy came up with, which there's the mm-hmm. ox. No, and well, no, it's the, I don't think is Lucy, but it's the fox and the hedgehog. Well, Lucy came up with the, oh. the ox and the cat. Yeah, oh. it was partially based on a poem by uh, uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Jack Japan. Gilbert. Jack Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> Pittsburgh and Japan. <laughs> well, no, but th- the point is, is that there's not one way. Sure. You know, there's not I w- a right or wrong. Name. I thought Pittsburgh, Japan. Was <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, right, right. We all have our own diagram. Yeah. Of, yeah. Right. Of right. I'm just saying. I'm. The, I in my personal life. At times, uh, there have been times where I wished I was that kind of writer, and then yeah. when I try and do it, it sucks. Yeah, no, I can't. I've, I've, I mean, this is the way I am with literally everything in my life, though. Is like I, I, all the things that I, I like, I wish I could do in a consistent way, and I consistently fail to have that be the way I do it. Sure. And instead, it ends up being me for two days doing what I like. And then somehow getting out of that for another yeah. two and months. I, I, f- I feel like also I'm I might be general like I'm generalizing a bit. Like I don't think the 
practice of poetry means to write poetry every day. Sure. It's it's to yeah. be engaged in the act of poetry, whether it's writing, reading, editing, talking about it, whatever it is, you know, but there's some kind of conviction at the root of practicing poetry and all of its different kind of avenues that I mean, even if you're an ox or a cat, you know, there's still the 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 identity yeah. of yourself as this thing that you believe in, you know, not only for yourself, but for some part of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And and your life being a way of sharpening detail into, uh, you know, a remnant of your experience. Yeah. You know, it's mm. I mean, I know that uh, Oppen wrote like not like Oppen wrote uh, of, uh, like kind of scathing critique of um, Ginsburg's Hal and then also was did not like surrealism or any of the isms that like he didn't like counterculture poetics or counterculture poetries because he thought that they didn't engage um, truthfully enough with what was going on in the world. So uh, it was a political thing, probably. Yeah, essentially, yeah, is that yeah. Alan Gil- Alan not uh, <laughs> Alan Ginsburg? <laughs> I got Jack Gilbert and Alan Gilbert and Alan Ginsburg in my head. Alan Ginsburg's Marxism was serious. I mean, it's. I mean, it's the same thing happening right now, right? There, mm-hmm. the, you know, Danielle came back yesterday from she she was out and she got a the Trotsky newspaper. <laughs> Did she really? Yeah, they <laughs> gave it to her. Yeah, and then yeah. they were like, "Oh, we donate money." No, yeah. but um, no. you know, that there's that same thing. I'm no. I'm gonna guess that the like the, the Trotsky newspaper guys and the DSA guys are probably not compatible yeah oh, well the narcissism of small differences kind yeah. of thing going on ginsburg was kind of a hedonist more than he was like like buddhism and marxism or whatever these isms that he played with were a means to like joy and ecstasy of the flesh yeah and you know even the type of buddhism that that ginsburg pursued was kind of like uh rooted in like drinking and and fucking at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the level of his poetry as well, th- I know what Oppen critiqued was the idea, like his retor- rhetoric and flo- flo- the flourishing of language, the decorative aspects of language. And I think there were people who fu- fell into that trap more than Ginsburg, but I think he was critiquing Ginsburg because I think this was in like the late 60s that he wrote this critique. Um,. But that, w- that was a good time to criticize Ginsburg. <laughs> 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 that was about yes. the time to start. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oppen will also strikes me as like a very domestic man, and like, like he, I know that he and his wife had a very like rich, uh, you know, lifelong partnership. Yeah. Uh, she wrote a memoir about their marriage. I yeah. Uh, he, so he strikes me as the sort of person that would like find peace in that in that life you know a life of the mind and a life of the political spirit yeah um, and being you know having a very strong family and and you know committed to these things yeah there's that image in a different kind of commitment than ginsburg was used to oh yeah (laughs) yeah and yeah you can if you wanted to say it you could say that you know maybe there's ginsburg being you know, queer, you know, like at that time pushed him towards more of a divergent, mm-hmm. you know, 
chaotic politics, you know, as a way of, of, you know, reacting to the level of oppression that he faced. And, you know, there's all sorts of strains of thought that you could. Yeah. I mean, to say Oppen was friends with Ginsburg. Yeah. So it was, it was the level, it was, I don't think it was at the level of politics or Mm. worldview. It was at the level of the work. Yeah. The connection between the work and the worldview, right? For him, for Oppen, there's a clear line of connection between the work and the worldview. Whereas he thought that there was some kind of disconnect for Ginsburg. And I can see Ginsburg arguing with that. No, yeah. Yeah. I, I could still see the hang being kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I could see it working, but, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, you say that he's, uh, you know, domestic. And, and I mean, it, it, I don't know why we're even, maybe just because I did it. But I don't know why we're comparing Ginsburg and Oppen per se. But you talk about the domestic, and when I hear that Ginsburg wrote Howell at the kitchen table, I have a hard time imagining him even having a kitchen table. Yeah, that's you the quote-unquote kitchen table. Yeah, it, it, that doesn't... I just don't... I don't envision it. Yeah. I mean, that's my hang-up, but yeah. Well, but Ginsburg's home was many places, you know. He was kind of an the outdoor... The road, even. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and he was an outdoor cat, you know. Well, I mean, I also... I brought it up because I was... Make trying trying to imply the point that Oppen's commitment to the practice of poetry often led to a kind of judgment that if you weren't on his level was borderline offensive. You know, yeah, it's like sure. like he he <laughs> he was known among his circle, he was both snobbish. students, yeah, like as being snobbish, but also witty and kind-hearted uh-huh. at the same time How, what a highly unusual combo for a poet yeah, to have yeah. i've never <laughs> seen that combination ever yeah. in a poet in my own experience <laughs> when writers when writers <laughs> tell you that your your problem is you're not writing enough you have to roll your eyes and you can't talk to them i mean maybe sometimes that is but like some people are like hey you just not you're just not writing enough buddy like <laughs> you that's from tremendous privilege too yeah not that yeah, I you need write to. More, but you need to uh, not earn a living, <laughs> and instead, yeah, uh, create poems and subsist. I don't know. I I feel like I really need to figure out a way to develop an independent income stream that isn't a job that I will inevitably grow to hate in a year. Oh man, I thought of the best idea while we were talking. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we're talking about how. Uh, if we didn't learn our lesson now, we're never going to learn our lesson and we're on a collision course with climate change and mm-hmm. all these things. And we've seen how some certain supporters of the president are, you know, licking subway poles to support the president or whatever. Alex. Here's what you do. <laughs> you buy the... You buy misinformation. The, uh, <laughs> all the property that's going to be underwater mm-hmm. in like 10 years. Like in right. the most undesirable and immediately climate disaster you know impacted right you say that the most patriotic thing you can do to support the president is prove that you will purchase these properties Mm -hmm. to show that there's nothing wrong with it right then you create a market for people who specifically want houses in disaster areas right and so you buy it first right before it becomes a meme and then by making it a meme it drives up the price significantly of what you just bought so that then you sell it right. to those pe- to those people that you just memed into wanting it. 
Right. Because Ben Shapiro, I believe, was recently was like, why don't they just move from the from the uh, fire areas? Yeah. And it's like what? nobody <laughs> wants to buy a house in a fire area, but maybe they do. You, right. you say. Right. Well, along those lines, I am going to be relocating to the great state of Florida. Florida. Yes. Florida, where it, where it flows thick in the water. Yeah. It's no accident that they named it that, by the way. Yeah, the no, it's no, that way back it, when when it was a Spanish colony, yeah, in the the 1600s, that's that's exactly what they were thinking. Lord Fluoride. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> this is the real Long Con of the Spaniards. <laughs> There's your book title. Long con. <laughs> I have several poems about Florida. Yeah. As an idea. Yeah. Like a, as an idea in the Spanish mind? Well, <laughs> like the idea that, because you and I have talked at length about like all of the Midwesterners who moved to Florida, uh-huh. the like the utopian yep. ideal of it and like the, you know, even having Disney World there. Yep. My, my conviction is that everybody, every everybody in the Tampa Bay area, their dad is from Ohio. Yeah. So. And everybody from where I grew up goes to Florida or has family that lives in Florida. Right. Um, it's different for Miami. It's different for Jacksonville. But in Tampa, everybody's dad's from Ohio. Go yeah. ahead. Sorry. Well, Miami is its own <laughs> thing, too. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but yeah, how everybody, go, everybody goes to Florida and they're like, it's, the, it's beautiful. It's the promised land. Even Ponce de Leon is like mm-hmm. Fountain of Youth's there. Yeah. I'm going to live forever, Fountain maybe. of Youth's there, bro. <laughs> uh-huh. Like everybody goes there on a promise and then ends up. Being in Florida. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like everybody, yeah, people go there thinking it's paradise, and it's it's not that. It is nice. Don't, don't get like I, you know, it, I I grew up there. I hated it when I was there, <laughs> but when I like when I started to grow up, it was like, oh, okay, actually, I I see what's what's good about it. You know, it's just, it, it was now that it's not just the place I grew up, right? But but you know. People go there expecting it literally to be paradise, literally an escape from their trauma, and they get there, and it's certainly not that. Yeah. You know, whatever it is, you know, nice weather, great beaches, yeah. good food, sure. seafood aplenty, you know. But, but the irony is highlighted in that movie, The Florida Project. Oh, yeah. Which The Florida Project was the name for Disney World in right. Orlando. Right. But the irony being that there's this, you know, very depressed area where the helicopter flies over. Oh, yeah. You know. Um, Aesthetically, by the way, that is exactly where I'm from. Yes. <laughs> like, okay. that, if, if, like, I, I didn't grow up in those circumstances, but aesthetically, that is, like, that was shockingly accurate. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. Uh, I never liked Florida. No, I'm not. I'm not anyway. crazy about it. My grandparents are, <laughs> are in the Jacksonville area, and uh, I go periodically, and it's okay. Um, and I don't golf anymore, so. But maybe you would appreciate it. Yeah, I was. I told. I was telling Tyler that last night. I told him I was getting going to miss him and preparing to visit him in Florida, and found myself on Google Maps last night looking at possible golf courses to play down there. And by the looks of it, I'm not going to be playing much golf. <laughs> so, but, I mean, like... Oh, Chichi, Re- Chichi Rodriguez was a great golf course when I was 12 at golf summer camp. Yeah. So. Alex is actually good at golf, so... 
He is. Yeah. He Whatever. Is. I bet I spent more hours at a golf course than Alex has. But on the service side, I, being a grunt. I don't know. I bet you. I bet that's not true. Yeah. I spent forty hours a week. Mm-hmm. For how long? <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's Beach. say a year, <laughs> and then, and then you know the season is only however long, so yeah. the hours are reduced. So we'll say, I spent I spent like ten forty hours a week for like ten years. All right, well maybe not, but I, I guess we know who won this day. All right, <laughs> yeah, hey. they're on the table, <laughs> and neither of them are long. So, <laughs> you know, I I don't know if you yeah, guys we're know, talking about golf here. Do you guys yeah. know people like this that are like, I'm going to move to Denver? And change my life, mm-hmm. kind of people. Sure, my yeah. uh, my friend Tim changed moved to Denver to change his life. But there's you know <laughs> I mean and that that goes along with the nostalgia also. It's like you think maybe a place will change it, but but you're you're all your shit. Yeah, I mean there's coming a Avid, with you. There's a Avid bro- one of the first like you know Avid Brothers songs that got him big is roughly along those lines. Yeah, uh, David Berman is that what you're saying? Avid bo- Brothers. Oh, I thought you said David Berman. No. Of the Silver Jews and uh, Purple no. Mountains. No, yeah. I was like, he definitely has a lot to say on this subject. Yep, yep. No, no much much uh, on a much more positive noted band, the Avett Brothers. Yeah. Uh, Very sentimental. Well, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're at an hour and 17. I was going to say, okay. it feels like we've been talking it feels like for a long time. Yes, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time I've for had us to out of you. shut up. <laughs> well, folks, the skyline remains beautiful. Yeah. The rooftops, they're stretching out as far as the eye can see. Uh, I feel good. I feel good, too. I'm Feels hungry, though. I feel good, yeah. too. We have, I, I made a pot of sausage and lentil soup that I wanted to be a copy of that of Caraba's Italian Grill. A staple of the southeast yeah uh and uh, i think we're gonna go and enjoy some of that any parting words final words for this episode goodbye uh, uh, the world is uh, goodbye uh, we, we send our prayers to the first family yep we uh, <laughs> <laughs> and our curses <sighs> and curses and prayers russia if you're listening i don't know if <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what he said? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. They're sending. They're sending the guy that I've been poisoned the Ukrainian <laughs> journalist <laughs> to attend to Donald. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're like we tried with the polonium, but I guess we do this. The president uh, has been on a course of polonium since Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rimdeza polonium. I'm feeling so much better, folks. <laughs> I'm strong. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and I that's don't hope that happens. No, no. Uh, no. I, I actually, I, I'm, I would break with, with all of that sentiment and say that you don't want that chaos. No, that chaos is very real. Yeah, yeah. And, and, no, the only people who are going to capitalize the, on that are the worst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the worst people. Yeah. So, uh. I don't. I don't want to see this leading to the death of Donald Trump. No. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that. I don't think so. Uh, yeah. You don't. You don't all have to comment on that, but you know, I'm just gonna say it. No, I think things need to remain as stable as possible. Yeah. Yes. 
By which I mean that I hope that Joe Biden wins. <laughs> I, hope, I hope Trump's kicked back. He's got some OJ. He's watching Impractical Jokers on a TV in Walter Reed Memorial. <laughs> <laughs> tweeting about the Impractical this Jokers. This guy's so volcano. He's <laughs> so good. I don't, I I don't find them funny, but bring it, bring I respect him to them. Me. <laughs> bring him to me now. <laughs> with a with a taco salad. From uh, impractical jokers, <laughs> boys. Your president needs you. So yeah, get there, folks. Have a good one. Bye. 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 Bye.